Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Break free from the forces holding you back. Get the life you deserve. Eliminate stress, reduce anxiety, decrease depression, and start living your full potential. Thousands have used Dr. Fujian Zane's Awareness Integration Theory, an evidence-based behavioral health breakthrough with incredible life-changing results. Getting rid of past trauma, having fulfilling relationships, increasing earnings, and living their best life. Now, the Fujian app is available to everyone. The app is Dr. Fujian Zane's Awareness Integration Theory in the palm of your hand. Download the Fujian app today. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice Podcast, a heartfelt chat with my guests and you beautiful listeners and viewers. I'm Dr. Fujian Zane. I'm a psychotherapist and author and the originator of the Awareness Integration Theory. And if you want to know more about the Awareness Integration Theory, go to awarenessintegration.com and you'll get to know all of it, all the courses, all the uh, books, everything that you wanted to know know about that and I'd love to talk to you about it if you wanted to get to know more if you're a therapist if you're a coach you want to be certified we have um, seminars that are consistently across um, the year uh, that we certify and you could be a part of the fujan.com app as the provider and if you're someone who just likes to experience it as a client then you can call me or any of the providers who uh, offer that type or even groups that you can share so I'd love to hear from you on that in this episode, I am so excited. I chatted with Michelle Madrid. She's the author of Let Us Be Greater, A Gentle Guided Path to Healing for Adoptees and a host of the Electricity of You podcast. She's an international adoptee, former foster child in the UK, and an adoptee empowerment life coach who has been recognized as an angels in adoption and honorary by the Congressional um, Coalition on Adoption Institute and um, induced into the New Mexico uh, Women's Hall of Fame for her work in adoption. You can definitely visit her at the themichellemadrid.com. We had an amazing um, heart-to-heart conversation together about her journey, about a journey that she went through when she was adopted, about a journey of adopting a little girl from Nigeria, Ethiopia. And it was more like this this essence of what we go through when this is all happens, the dualities, the conflicts, the loss, the gain, the beauty, uh, the appreciation, and all of it, knowing that we are all great, but minor flaws. And that was the beauty of our conversation. I really enjoyed this conversation. I know that you will as much as I did. So don't go anywhere. Michelle's going to be right here. But before that, subscribe to my podcast, to this podcast, Give a review, give a review, four or five, anything that you feel like it's really there. If you enjoyed it, put it out there, put your review. Um, connect with my YouTube channel. Everything I do is going to be there. So if you connect to it and you subscribe to it, regardless of whether it's this or any other uh, show that I do, that it's going to be on there. Connect with me through my website, fujanzane.com, any of the social medias, Dr. Fujanzane. If you want to experience the awareness integration uh, path through an app, go to Fujan app. You can find it in Google Store or Apple, all of it. It's yours, all right? And share with me your thoughts. I love to hear from you. We would love to work together in all of it. So without further ado, here's Michelle Madrid. 
eliminate stress, reduce anxiety, and decrease depression. Dr. Fujian Zane's awareness integration theory has helped thousands like you get incredible life-changing results. The Fujian app gives you her evidence-based treatment in the palm of your hand. Download today. Michelle Madrid, so nice to have you on the show. Thank you for coming all the way from Florida, actually. Exactly. I'm in Miami today, and I'm so happy to be here with you. Thank you so much. I'm honored. So um, let us talk about being greater, which is the name of your book, Let Us Be Greater. It's a gentle uh, guide, uh, guided path to healing uh, for adoptees. So this book is dear to you. The name is dear to you. It has a lot of meaning for you. So share with us, um, what was it about now that you want to share this with the rest of the world? Mm, I do believe that this book, Let Us Be Greater, has been a book I've been writing all of my life. You know, as... Um, as someone who is in foster care in the United Kingdom, adopted by Americans, um, and who has lived in the skin of adoption as an international adoptee, um, this book is sort of a culmination for me, really, of lived experience and the experience of healing and coming back to self and a sense of wholeness, claiming identity reuniting with myself on the deepest levels. And, you know, often when we learn these things, I often say you can't give to others what you have yet to receive or given to yourself. And so I've given myself many years of healing and I think the walk of deep, deep understanding of what it does mean to come home to yourself as an adoptee and claiming parts of ourselves that can seem sort of lost or we can feel disconnected to along the um, the experience of removal, relinquishment, abandonment, you know, sense of rejection in our lives. And so um, this book came about at a time, I think, where I was ready to share not only my journey, uh, along with the journey of others, some other um, adult adoptees I coach, but also, um, you know, ways back to yourself um, when you feel that sense of um, disconnection that can go so very deep. Um, and the, the name of the book is rooted in um, my journey traveling to Ethiopia to adopt my now 14-year-old daughter. Um, it is a, a story that I include in the book of holding my little girl at the, the time she was 10 months old. This goes back to 2010. Um, and I held her in my arms for the very first time. And... Um, I learned the meaning of her Ethiopian name, Tiblet. When I asked of the translation, the orphanage director told me it means let her be greater. And she was given this name by the stranger who found her, actually a police officer who, who found her as a little tiny one. And it carried with it to me such a profound power of, you know, let this child be greater than her circumstances. Let her go first. Um, let her advance beyond the struggle. And as I held her in my arms in that moment, I recognized something within myself that I was still struggling with. I saw very clearly all the potential, all the worth that my little daughter held. I could see it like in an instant. And 
I think scenes of her life and her future were sort of flashing before me. Yet I had this distinct awareness in that moment that I couldn't see the same thing in myself. I was still struggling with um, just a sense of lacking worth. Um, I struggled with loving myself, seeing myself as worthy in the world, really seeing myself in that way. And I knew that I still had to do work to really step into that um, identity of greatness and the greater version of who I'm here to be. And so that's really started, I think, the next level of healing for me. It was really going deep and understanding so many parts of myself that were still rooted in a place of, of feeling like I lacked that sense of worth. I brought my daughter home to the U.S. Um, she was diagnosed with failure to thrive in that she was malnourished and she was struggling with Giardia. And I saw that, you know, that diagnosis I'd given myself of failure to thrive. I just saw myself as failing in so many aspects of my life that I so deeply desired to connect really deeply in relationships, to love myself, to see myself as someone with immense value and promise. And um, I, I just knew I had still work to do. And that really started me on the path of, I think, deeper discovery. It brings me to where I am today and the book that I've written in this moment. Beautiful. You touched upon so many angles of this. I used to work with uh, Bienvenidos in California, which is a foster care agency for many years, training foster parents and working with biological parents who um, wanted to, you know, uh, work on themselves and have, and then work with many of uh, the foster parents who adopted the children um, after years of, you know, uh, being with them. And even people who were adopted and then have to go back and, you know, the pain and all of that. And you say beautifully in your book that, I know when we talk about adoption, a lot of times we look at the glory and, you know, someone has been saved and all of it, but we rarely really look at all the pain around it, not only for um, the person who's been adopted. And I know that in some instances, age of being adopted really, really matters, but same thing you were just sharing, even as young, very, very young, you could still... Um, subconsciously you experience the rejection. Sometimes they've been the rejection that you're experiencing because of the pain of the mother who they know they can't hold this baby and they're mourning, they're already grieving the child that they need to give up, knowing that that has to happen and that becomes part of the secretary of, you know, of, of the, per the, the, the little person who is, you know, getting raised in that womb and then coming and then having to be given away to strangers, which they don't know. So there's so many le levels um, of this factor of whether they know it or not, they know it consciously or not. And then whether there is a reason where they would want to go back and find out. And the, all of the meaning that they assign to themselves, someone who is, you know, thinking that somebody brought me into this world and, you know, for whatever the circumstances were, I'm no longer with them. And the meaning that a human being assigns to that. And as you said beautifully, like I decided thriving was not part of it. Maybe your daughter didn't decide herself because of the malnutrition, but sometimes even when the malnutrition isn't there, 
there is a subconscious decision there that I'm not worthy and I should not thrive. Like if somebody didn't want me, then I should not want me. I'm not, I'm unwanted. And we assign so many meanings to ourselves in that way of stopping yourself to move forward. So it is so beautiful to hear that you're going through that process and really, really healing yourself. Thank you so much. You know, you touch on so many important points there because I do believe that, you know, a lot of a lot of the sense of rejection can begin in the womb. What our mothers experience in the world, we experience in the womb. I really believe that. And in you know, my own healing work, I've really come to hold a very tender place for that little girl, the little girl I was. Because I do believe she experienced so much of what my first mom, her first mom, our first mom experienced while she, you know, moved through the very real raw decision of whether she would carry me to term, whether she would keep me, all of those things that she was struggling with. I too struggled. I sensed, you know, we have a concept sometimes that it's mother, when you're in the womb, it's mother and child, but so much of science says, and is proving that it is mother child. We are one when we're in the womb and we've experienced what our moms experienced. So I do believe there's something there that we can enter the world with a sense of programming that perhaps we're just not fully welcome in this life that we've been given. Um, I know that shortly after I was born um, and then placed into foster care, I lost a significant amount of weight. And the doctors said there was nothing wrong with my first, my name before I was adopted was Julia Dawn. Nothing wrong was wrong with Julia Dawn. But I look back and in my own meditations and explorations, um, internal wanderings, if you will, I look back and see that, you know, everything was wrong in that moment. I was a child who knew on a cellular level that she was losing her mom. And that impacted me greatly. And so there was, I do believe before I could even speak, there was a sense of not being worthy of somehow staying with my mom. Somehow I remember as a little girl asking myself in the dark of night, what, what did I do? I don't know what I did. And it wasn't that I didn't love my adoptive family. You know, no family is perfect. Certainly my adoptive family had um, their own struggles. I write about that in the book. But I, I still, even with the love in my adoptive family, um, I still struggled with this, this deep, 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 deep fear that rejection was looming all the time around me. And that if I wasn't a perfect little girl, I could be sent back somewhere. I didn't know where, but that someone might come and, and get me if I didn't prove my worth each and every day. And so I lived with these beliefs that I had to be perfect. I had to prove my worth, but deep, deep down inside, no matter what I did, the best grades, you know, um, pleasing my, my adoptive mother, I still felt this sense of innate unworthiness that I really had to get to. You know, I really believe if, if, if something keeps coming up for you, like I just don't feel worthy, then I need to really look at that limiting belief. I call it a logo of limitation. I need to look at it tenderly and with compassion and figure that out. Why do I feel this deep sense of unworthiness in my life? And how do I get back to a place of stepping into the truth of the matter that I am 
worthy, that I am welcome into the fullness of living, into the fullness of my life, and that I am here, I have breath, I have purpose, have a unique purpose, and stepping into those things, and in the book, I outline eight points of pain that adoptees often face, maybe one of them, maybe all of them, uh, maybe something in between, but looking at those points of pain and doing the work of transforming those things into our points of light so we can step into the fullness and the promise of who we are and move forward as people who really feel connected to a place of self-love, self-worth, and all the possibilities that we are here to live out in our lives. It's a, such a dynamic, it's a complicated dynamic. Mm-hmm. I know that there is this pain that you, we people might not necessarily associate it. And then, so it's important for that association and then be able to go in and look at it. There's also this kind of a guilt, weird feeling that happens between, you know, like, okay, I've been given this opportunity or this is what's going on or all of that. And, you know, having to go acknowledge the pain of the loss that we have sometimes becomes an issue as if with, you know, my adoptive family and thinking like, I'm not appreciative, but most of the children, it's not about, it's not about whether they appreciate or not. The appreciation is there like any parental, you know, dynamic, whether it's a biological or, or an adoptive. I think that, you know, when you're giving something, you either enjoy it or you don't, but there's also this other underlying factor that is there that is always a wonder, you know, when it is your biological parent, you like it you don't you fight you you know say I hate you to your mom sometimes and you say I love you and it comes back and so I think part of that dynamic is always just there regardless but there's this other dynamic that is always kind of looming which a parent adoptive parent well I might always say is this because we're not biological like is it because you know my child who's here has a different parent or the different um uh certain let's say genetic background and stuff or is it that I'm having this feeling because I'm pissed at my child is it because it's not my biological so that kind of no you could get pissed at your own child you too exactly right so but there's always this like wonder Hmm. in the middle and I think that for an adoptive adoptee who also knows that they are adopted there's always this wonder what happened how come, you know, what happened to my biological parent? Why is it that they didn't want me or couldn't handle me or didn't thrive to do this or didn't fight for me or, and all of it? That is part of always this kind of curiosity, which I, that, you know, that you beautifully put it into those eight points of pain. Can you share a little bit about that and the eight points of pain? Absolutely. Um, the, the points of pain that I outline in the book are the pain of feeling unwelcome in the world, just entering the world with a sense of not quite being fully welcome into your own life, into the life that you've been given. That can cause us as adoptees to sort of live on the margins at arm's length in relationships and not really fully stepping into the promise, the fullest promise of um, you know, all that we're here to be, the pain of um, a sense of just broken bonds and that deep sense of loss that we need to get to that so often um, we bury so deep as adoptees. And maybe we do feel a sense of guilt. Why am I feeling this way when the the wider narrative is I should just be grateful and I should just move on. And, you know, how lucky you are that this family took you in, but yet you feel this deep sense of 
of loss and there's sort of that feeling of tug of war of I want to get to those feelings but I'm afraid if I do I'll be seen as ungrateful and that's really not the place uh, that I stand I, I am very grateful for my life but I also am grieving a loss that I really want to understand um, the pain of being denied access to truth you know so often as adoptees we live feeling removed from a truth whether that's a truth within ourselves or the truth of our medical history the truth of our our biological family history. Um, we, we live with this feeling of being locked out of truth and it can be a very challenging place to be, the pain of just familial rejection, words that harm. You know, oftentimes we can be told, um, as you've probably heard before, you know, um, adoption is, you know, this wonderful um, option. Um, it's, 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 you know, you're chosen. Um, but oftentimes for adoptees, it can feel like, but I'm chosen, but I feel like second choice. Perhaps my parents struggled with infertility or what have you. And then, then they came to the decision to adopt. So that can be a, a real pain point that looms, pain of distrust, if my first parents left, then who can I really trust in this world? Um, that sense of banished biology, being, being removed from the, the truth of the biology that maybe we feel pulsing within our veins, but we really can't get at. Um, the pain of pleasing others versus pleasing self. I have to be someone other than my authentic self in order to stay safe from another rejection. I struggled with that one for a very long time in my life. And I just think overall, um, the, the, the eighth pain point is that lack of transparency and uh, that feeling of really acceptance, self-acceptance and acceptance by those around us for who we are authentically as adoptees. And there is certainly, without a doubt, a sense of guilt that we can feel. And you touched on that as adoptees for, you know, if 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 I really try to um, explore these feelings I'm having, um, if I'm struggling in some way and I reach out to my adoptive parents about it, will I be seen as ungrateful? Will I hurt them? Will I lose their love? And the fact of the matter is, it's, it is about that transparency. It's about that beautiful veil, thin veil that we can move back and forth through, right? Where it doesn't have to be so either or. We really, as adoptees, want to live in the both and, where we can love and we can grieve. And we know that we are safe in the doing of that. And I think for anyone who has adopted a child, or who is considering adopting, just understand that they come into their new surroundings, not as blank slates, whatever their earliest story may look like. They come into your family with that history and it's best served um, to build that solid family foundation and to have a beautiful, loving relationship with your child, to be willing to lean in and understand what they may be feeling because they may be grieving a loss that you may not quite understand, but your willingness to understand, your willingness to say, I know your loss is real. How can I help you? How can I support you? Is such a powerful healing bomb and a beautiful step forward to forging those kind of bonds that you want to have with your child. And also as an adoptee, the kind of bonds and, and, and love you want to have for yourself, you can ask yourself the same question. You can look in the mirror and say, I know that your loss is real. How can I help you? 
What do you need from me in order to trust me more? We can do that with ourselves as adoptees as well. And I think all of those quality questions really can help to lead us forward, at least put a, a solid first step onto the path of healing. Yes. Um, as you were sharing, this came up for me about you kept saying I'm an international adoptee and you also have chosen to adopt from another country. What do you think the difference is? Like, what is the reason where some people um, go more toward an international ad um, adoption versus a local adoption? And what do you think the differences would be depending on what country you are choosing to adopt a child from? Well, certainly adoption looks different country to country. Um, but I would say as an international adoptee myself that I came to adopting and adopting internationally in a very organic way. Um, I had had my, my eldest son is, is biological and um, adoption, you know, came to me building our family um, through adoption with my my son who's now 19 and my daughter who's 14 it, it really did come organically and I was very open to leaning in when it when I started receiving signs um, you know like I would receive signs people talking about maybe Ethiopia or or what have you and I would just sit in stillness and I would ask is is this where I'm supposed to move forward? in in bringing a child into our family and and uh, you know and expanding our family in that way i certainly never went about adoption in in a, in a way of looking at it like i'm i'm here to save a child because i am not a savior but i do know that what i offer my children is an understanding that is invaluable and they say that to me often mom you really understand where i'm coming from and, and I do, and I want those um, lines of communication to be very open and I want them to know they can come to me and share anything with me. Um, I think it's very important to understand with international adoption, the layers of loss um, just can, there's, there can be more layers of loss. I think we lose our, our country of origin. Oftentimes we lose a sense of culture uh, original culture. We might lose language, um, our first language. And I think it's so important. It has been for me as an adoptee and also as an adoptive parent of two internationally adopted children, the understanding that allowing them to connect with their culture, understanding that we are a multicultural family and their first families, although we don't know a lot about their first families yet, um, they are part of our family. My children, since they were tiny, have talked about first parents and they've asked questions and they know that we love them. We love those parents because without them, we would not have our children. And so there's a great sense of love, I hope, that they always um, experience within our family and an acceptance of the fact that 
our family grew not with just adopting these two beautiful kids, but also with adopting in the love and the energy and the ancestral cultural lines of their families. And I think that's really important so that a child doesn't feel so completely disconnected from what is, I, I like to say, pulsing through their veins, the biology of who they are, which is so powerful. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's personal preference. I think you really have to look, if you're thinking, considering about adopting as what, what pathway to adoption feels, feels best, not only for yourself, but ultimately for the child. Are you open to adopting outside of your culture, outside of your race? What work will you be willing to do to make sure that your children are always connected to um, and rooted in um, a first culture? their race and and allow them to be proud of who they are and to live that truth authentically those are things i would just suggest and you know understanding is really important for families we are shared family as an adoptive family whether we uh, are you know living with an open adoption or a more, more closed adoption it's so important no matter what the structure of the adoption looks like to allow it to be um, surrounded by an energy of sharing their culture, sharing their biology, sharing all of the unique things that make them who they are and celebrating that. So they don't feel like they have to hide it or they don't feel like it's something that is to be ashamed of. No, all that they are, every cell of their being must be celebrated. And adoptees feel that, they feel that. And it's just... When they don't get that, it's just another little sense of rejection and another way they sort of retreat back into themselves. We can help them step into the light of who they are, not live their life in the shadows by embracing authentically, you know, everything that they are and all that they have been brought into this world to be and to do. Well, something to my attention, which was very uh, interesting, you said that this concept of loving um, their biological parents. And since I um, got introduced to uh, adoptees through obviously a lot of the pain of whether there were abusive parents or parents who were dealing with the you know addiction and um, that's why the children were taken away. There was always this culture of, um, you know, kind of like being upset with the biological parent like the system was upset the new adoptive the foster care the adoptive parents were like upset um so they kept looking at the adopt uh, the, the biological parents as like bad parents you know and that's why the kids were taken away in a sense um or even if it was a person who chose to let go and uh, put their children for adoption, um, they were looked upon as a negative. But the other side of it, as you were sharing, is when the child experiences that their biological parents are bad, they own the badness also, because they feel like I am part of that group. So if they're bad, then I'm bad. And there's this shame that consistently just lives with you coming from like a bad seed, you know, uh, like a bad apple. And then therefore you are also. And that also becomes this uh, divide within the self and consistently getting that message somehow from the outside world that 
that group are bad and the adoptive parents are good. And um, inside of you, I think it becomes this type of a split uh, that you also have to be able to heal uh, versus, you know, owning. And, you know, we all have this. You know, it doesn't matter who says what. Uh, I mean, what we say about our own parents, but if somebody else says something about our parents or our siblings or people who are kind of like thinking they're either our bloodline or they're ours, then we take it very personal, you know, and it becomes big. They are part of who we are. So if you portray them as not good or not enough or bad, then I that kind of relays on me. So that is part of, again, the pain points and how to be aware of that. And it's so beautiful when you said, regardless of the circumstances, I'm grateful that they brought you into this world and I get to be with you. Um, and I think that's part of the message that I could also heal the person who, uh, you know, has been taken away from their bloodline in a sense and had to deal with this. Everyone, let us be greater. A gentle guided path to healing for adoptees by Michelle Madrid. Um, Michelle, you also talk about like, uh, programs that can support like perinatal and, you know, if someone really does know, um, that they're not in a circumstance to be able to take care of their children, what is it that they can do as, you know, someone who takes care of the child, their kids take care of their body and how, what could other people or systems do to be able to facilitate this process a little bit better? Oh, it's such an important question. And so much of what you just said resonates with me so deeply. I just want to touch on um, what you were saying about, you know, the words, the, the words that we use. Um, I grew up um, understanding from everyone around me, my adoptive parents as well, that my, my first mom um, had had an affair with my bio father, my first father. And um, I was placed into foster care. I was labeled as difficult to place, illegitimate, unwanted. All of these things are in my foster records. And um, I really believed that, that my first parents were bad somehow. And so then I must be bad too. And I lived with that for such a long time. I didn't know how to process it, but it would never leave me that label of just somehow being broken. And inside of my adoptive family, I had an adoptive father who struggled with alcohol addiction. And it was very painful inside of that home. There was ver verbal abuse and, and it was emotionally very hard. And I remember thinking as a child, I am told that my uh, first parents are bad. I must be bad. It must be the reason that my adoptive father drinks. So I must be so bad that he has to drink in order to deal with me. And I remember thinking, I don't know where you go to talk about when, when everyone's telling me how bad my first parents were, how broken they were, where do you go to talk about the fact that inside of your adoptive home feels broken too? Is I had a father who was struggling with something very real and I didn't know where to go to express this sense of just brokenness all around me. 
And I think we serve adoptees in a much more kind and loving way when we share with them that their bio parents, and, and I know this can be hard for adoptive parents sometimes to wrap their heads around, but the bio parents, if, if you can just lean into this, as I tell my children, I don't know all the reasons why your parents um, chose to relinquish, like my parents chose to relinquish me. I don't know what happened in that moment of decision. But what I know is they are real people who were going through a real struggle. And like you and me, they are love. I believe each and every one of us is love, but oh my golly, we go through struggles and challenges and brokenness in this life. They made a decision in that moment, or perhaps someone else had to come in and make that decision for them. But it has nothing to do with you, sweet, precious child, sweet, precious adoptee. And I say this to adoptees, whether they are seven or 70, those circumstances and decisions do not define your innate goodness, the love that you're here to give, the love that you are, and everything you are uniquely qualified to do in this life. And so we, I think, can consider um, the fact that offering and showing up from this place of love, from this place of forgiveness, and forgiveness is powerful. We can help our adoptees not see themselves as somehow tainted in a way that breaks them for the rest of their lives, but understand that they were part innocence, innocent ones who were part of a moment, a moment that there was a decision that was made that caused a shift in their life, but they were not the cause of that shift. If that, if that um, clarifies for you, always surrounding this with love, not sugarcoating it. That's not what I'm saying because we have to have real open, honest, raw conversation about this adoptee experience. But love is what we all are. And I look back at my first parents and what I've learned of them, I reunited with my first mother when I was a teen. I learned a lot about my first father, more about my first father as an adult. They were not bad people. They were real people in a really difficult circumstance and they made a decision. It doesn't mean that they didn't have love for me. It just meant that the moment they were in caused them to, and the circumstance they were in caused them to make a decision that yes, impacted me greatly, but it doesn't mean that I was bad. And it certainly doesn't mean that they were bad. And when I learned more of my first parents' circumstances, what I saw them as, I saw them as real people who were flawed, just like me. And that was the most freeing moment, the most liberating moment in my life. I hadn't done anything wrong. I hadn't done anything wrong. I was just like my my first mom and my first dad. I was, I am, I am real. I am flawed. I am human. And I can carry that forward and that I'm knowledge. Great. Yes. I'm flawed and I'm great. I'm flawed and I'm great. Oh my gosh. I could just wrap my arms around you and hug you right now. Yes, I'm flawed and I'm great. And I can hold both of those things at the same time in my life, the both and yes, yes, yes. Michelle, can you, um, as we're wrapping up, I really want to ask this question also, what are your thoughts about 
um, like DNA testing and, you know, trying to find your um, biological parent, you know, across the world, wherever they are. I think DNA testing has become a powerful source of reconnection. Um, and I think many adoptees are going that route. Sometimes it's simply they they want to discover more about their ancestry. And then through the DNA testing, they discover a close biological relative. Um, I think when you are looking at DNA testing, I think you just need to know your why. Why am I stepping into this? Why do I, I want to um, go on this journey of DNA testing? And then understand that there may be... Um, people out there who you are closely connected to biologically who may emerge. Um, but do the work first of setting up a support system for yourself if that should happen. Um, do the work of coming home to yourself um, before you take the DNA test or certainly while you're awaiting results. Um, journal on what you hope for. Um, you know, really work to connect with yourself while you await your DNA um, test results. And those things may come quickly. I've had, you know, adoptee coaching clients who have taken a test and before you know it, they are in contact with a biological, close biological relative, perhaps even a bio mother or father. I've had others where it's taken much longer to reach those kind of connections. But I just say, have a support system, know your why, and do the beautiful work of, of really connecting to yourself, knowing yourself more deeply and completely, and just loving yourself, being kind to yourself, self-care, self-care, self-care through it all. But it's a powerful tool, one that we, of course, didn't have for many decades, and now we have it. And it is bringing families together and shifting um, what we see our family tapestry um, as looking like um, in many instances very, very quickly. And I would say that it has been so healing for many of my clients who have said, you know, all, I was always told maybe I was biracial, maybe white and Hispanic, but I never felt like that was right. They get their, you know, results and perhaps they're white and, you know, and they find out they're, you know, Polynesian or, or something else emerges and they're like, oh, I've been drawn to that culture all of my life and now I understand why. So it gives adoptees uh, a beautiful sense of clarity and reconnection to the very identity, biology of who they are. And I think ultimately that's a beautiful thing i know i've been very surprised when i got mine and yes. um, and i do think that it's interesting because i've heard you know i've been with clients who has created drama in the sessions and and the whole family system and yet brought up a lot of authentic conversations which were you know back in the closet from so many years and suddenly all of these stuff had to come out of the closet and be you know transposed and transparent and mm -hmm. It brought a lot of closeness and healing for people. So yes. let us be greater. Uh, a gentle guided path to healing uh, for adoptees by Michelle Madrid. Michelle, um, anything we have not touched upon that we re you really want everybody to know? You know, the thing that comes up for me in this moment, and I'm just going to go with it, is for everyone to really take in in this moment that change begins within. That when we do the work of interchange, when we begin to cultivate our beautiful inner garden and we nourish it and we give it all the goodness and all the love and all the healing it deserves, 
the external world will respond to that. That's an energy that is carried from the inside out. And so if there are three words I would leave you with, and I would love everyone just to take it wrap wrap so deeply into their heart is change begins within do that inner work go there don't be afraid because the gifts and the treasures that await you are countless they're without boundaries and so i offer that up today beautiful how could people find you Oh, please come see me. My website, themichellemadrid.com, or I would love to connect on Instagram. You'll find me there at themichellemadrid. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I am so honored. This is such a lovely, meaningful conversation. Thank you. Beautiful. And for all of you who are out there, create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you. And until next week, bye-bye. Break free from the forces holding you back. Get the life you deserve. Eliminate stress, reduce anxiety, decrease depression, and start living your full potential. Thousands have used Dr. Fujian Zane's Awareness Integration Theory, an evidence-based behavioral health breakthrough with incredible life-changing results. Getting rid of past trauma, having fulfilling relationships, increasing earnings, and living their best life. Now, the Fujian app is available to everyone. The app is Dr. Fujian Zane's Awareness Integration Theory in the palm of your hand. Download the Fujian app today.